It is so good to be with you all this morning and uh, many familiar faces uh, that our hearts have been bonded with through the years. Uh, but there are also a lot of people I don't know yet, and I hope you'll introduce yourself to me afterwards uh, as we were pulling into the parking lot. Erica said, oh, who's that? Who's that family? I haven't seen them before. Uh, to which my daughter replied, and she's not here, so she's <laughs> not being embarrassed. Uh, but she said, Mom, if I had a penny for every time you were going to say that this morning, I'd have like $4 by the end of today. So it is so good to be with you all. And if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians and chapter 9. And I just checked, that's page 9. 68, if you have the pew Bibles or the chair Bibles um, in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verses 10 through 15. Second Corinthians 9. 10 through 15. This is the word of God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace abounding to sinners. And already this morning, there have been so many declarations of the evidences of that grace. Another one of those um, is here before us now in your word. And Lord, we pray that by your living and active word, you would transform us this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts to behold the wondrous things that you have prepared for us in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to uh, begin with the end in mind this morning, looking at the end of our passage, and that is by just saying publicly before all of you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And I want to begin in this way because I want to make it clear this morning that it is only because of his grace, which has abounded, amen, to all of us, in so many ways through this partnership in giving and receiving, which has overflowed in many thanksgivings to God. 
in the time that I have uh, this morning, I just want to spend a few minutes offering a word of encouragement and hopefully fanning into flame your continued generosity for the cause of Christ. My simple aim this morning, to fan into flame your continued generosity for the cause of Christ. So over at Center Baptist, and for those of you who don't know, that's uh, 42nd and Center right by the VA hospital. Over there, uh, we have been working our way for about a year and a half now through the entire Bible on Sunday mornings, one book at a time. So every uh, sermon on a Sunday is an overview of a different book of the Bible. And by God's grace, we have now made it all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the book of 2 Corinthians. And so last week, um, I was able to preach through the whole letter of 2 Corinthians with the title being In Defense of True Gospel Ministry. And Paul actually says at one point in this letter to the Corinthians that one of the reasons why he's writing to them is so that they will not be outwitted by Satan. I love that. I'm writing to you so that you will not be outwitted by Satan. This church had very much turned inward. They had gotten very caught up in the flesh. They had become embroiled in conflict. They had been listening to false teachers. They were an absolute mess. And Paul's answer, as it always is, is simply, remember the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ Remember how he has provided so richly for you, though you didn't deserve any of it. Turn your eyes off of yourselves, please, and turn your eyes back to Jesus. So after laboring to remind this church of the gospel, Paul comes to this part of the letter, which we have before us, where he appears, if you're just reading through it all in one sitting, it might appear that he switches gears drastically. Because in chapters 8 and 9, he is actually going to rally the church in Corinth to remember God's grace to them in order to renew their commitment to give generously to another church that is very much in need. Very much in need of sharing that abundance of grace. And the church that is in view here, the church that is in need, is actually the Jerusalem church. The church that is in need in this situation is the mother church. <laughs> and sometimes I refer to you all as the mother church. Uh, the church in need has been the base of gospel mission, the base of sending out missionaries, the base of giving in order to spread the gospel throughout all of the Roman Empire. But now, the roles have Change slightly. Here it is, this church plant in Corinth that's been a recipient of the giving and the sacrifice of the Jerusalem church. Now they are the ones in a position of abundance. They are the ones in a position to be able to share, to help out the mother church. And so in the passage before us, Paul is going to lay out for them God's purpose in prosperity. His principle, if you will, for gospel prosperity. 
And I want to try to answer one question for all of us today, and that question is this. Why has God prospered you? Why has God prospered you? Now, I know we live in, in Papillion, and we could talk about median incomes, and we could compare that to different parts of Omaha. But even more than that, if you are in Christ today, I don't care how rich or poor you are by Papillion standards, you have been shown a great amount of prosperity. You are rich in Christ. So why has God prospered you? It was about four years ago now, three and a half years ago, uh, when I was up here actually in the other, the other um, worship space, uh, that I stood up here and first shared a, a personal testimony about uh, God's calling and the need of Center Baptist Church with many of you. Some of you might remember uh, that member meeting. Uh, I gave a testimony of a burden that God had placed on my heart, and it was a burden for a church that for 120 plus years had been used of God to do much gospel work in Omaha and beyond. But now here they had reached a point where they were having to make some very difficult decisions about their future. Although they were unsure how much longer the doors would stay open, still they had a small core of very faithful, praying, Jesus-loving, word-hungry members. I believe that there are some churches that, that reach this place, and, and they ought to close because in many cases they have simply ceased to be the church. Their witness actually becomes harmful to the cause of Christ in our city because they have turned their backs on Christ. But this was not the case with Center. Here were 30 or so members who were committed to following Christ, who loved his word. It was very apparent to me. And they believed that possibly God was not yet through using their church to be a witness in their community and beyond. You see, long before Overland Hills Church had covenanted together in 1974, there was a group of Swedish Baptists that entered into a covenant in 1896 to assemble and to worship together in Omaha and to reach their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that fundamental mission had not changed. So when I began to sense God's leading to this church and to this endeavor, one of the things that I could not get past was my awareness of how God had so richly blessed us, us being Overland Hills Church at that time, how he had so richly blessed us, both financially, but I think it was obvious to everyone more so than financially that he had blessed us with a body that was zealous for the ministry, zealous to hear the word of God, zealous to reach their community, to send out missionaries, and having several, several capable leaders, teachers, preachers. And so as I first shared this need with the congregation, I will never forget two people who responded that day. One of them was the late Don Frazee, I think in his mid-80s at the time, who said, 
why wouldn't we do this? The other was, Steve, you let, sorry to embarrass you, Steve, but I can still hear you saying with a bit of a choked up voice, I think we should share. I think we should share, and that still rings my ears and something that, that is readily before me, both of those two voices as I continue to serve there at Center. That willingness, your willingness to share out of God's abundant grace to you has now become and is continuing to be a rich harvest of righteousness that is leading to an exponential increase in thanksgivings to God. And I'm so grateful for this, and I could be up here for the next 24 hours sharing with you. Kathy's like, whoop, eyes just perked up. But I could. I could be here all day sharing with you the many evidences of that grace. But look at verse 10. Paul explains God's principle for prosperity in this way. He says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. I shared this with our church during the 2 Corinthians sermon last Sunday, but my favorite football game of the year is coming up. It's now just one week away. And believe it or not, being a Navy guy, it is not Army-Navy. I don't know why that is, but it's always been the Navy-Notre Dame game. Every year, maybe because we are the underdogs every year, and I can't wait to beat them. But for the past 95 years, 95 years, minus the COVID year, they have locked their helmets on the gridiron year after year. But do you know why this rivalry exists? Do you know why it continues year after year exclusively with Navy? Army doesn't have this privilege. Air Force doesn't have this privilege. Well, the reason why they play every year is because during World War II, mighty Notre Dame, if you can picture this, was actually impoverished to the point of closing their doors. Can you believe that? Until, that is, of course, that Navy stepped in to bail them out. Navy actually provided funding for them in order to set up to establish an officer training program that ended up, ended up bringing them out of their financial troubles and breathing new life into the institution. And so out of one's poverty and another's abundance, a 95-plus-year alliance was born. Notre Dame, I don't need to tell you, is as healthy financially as ever. They have more money than they know what to do with. But still, to this day, they also have a naval ROTC program. And occasionally, they give us a good officer or two. Well, why do I share this? Well, you see, in a much greater way, this is very similar to the way that God has set up his kingdom economy. Whenever there is an abundance, it is because God has supplied the seed. And why has he supplied it? And why has he enriched us? in order 
to be generous. Whenever there is a lack, materially speaking, it is in order that someone might experience the abundant provision of Christ, which he provides through others. Did you know that the equation, the biblical equation for true generosity actually necessitates poverty? Sound like a strange thing? Generosity actually necessitates poverty. Uh, Look back at chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul is trying to encourage the church in Corinth to resume their giving based on the example of other churches in Macedonia. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Their abundance of joy and, coupled with their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. What could Paul possibly mean by generosity flowing out of poverty? I get the joy part, but... but the idea that we need somehow to be impoverished in order to experience his prosperity and to experience his abundant grace. Now look at chapter 8, verse 9. Here's the ultimate example. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This really is the principle of gospel prosperity. Not that God would bless us with abundant finances so that we could flaunt our wealth. Not that we could become the biggest and best church in all of Sarpy County, in all of Omaha, but that as God supplies his people with an abundance of everything that they need always, he does so to the end that they might in turn make others rich in Christ. From all that we can gather in 2 Corinthians, Paul's enemies at the time, the enemies of the church in Corinth really, were a group of men who were charging for their teaching in order to fill their pockets, in order to build their own brand, which was really only robbing them of the opportunity to abound in the joy of seeing others become rich in Christ. And Paul is saying here that God uses the poverty of some, the abundance of others, And really the willingness of all to become poor for the sake of making others rich, he uses all that to the end that we would come to share in a greater joy and participation in God's abundant grace. Now what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning is just share with you a few observations 
a few fruits, if you will, four fruits to be exact, that I have observed from the faithful stewardship of your gospel prosperity. Again, not to pat yourselves on the back, but I pray in order to spur you on to an even greater generosity for the cause of Christ. Number one, I want to tell you about the joy of gospel partnership. First fruit of this prosperity, first fruit of this generosity, the joy of gospel partnership. I have become, particularly over the last year, a rather big fanboy of uh, distance running. I love to follow whatever the races are. This morning it was the New York City Marathon, but I've always had kind of like a favorite runner, and for a while, he's retired now, that runner was Ryan Hall. Um, an American distance runner still holds the record for the marathon, still holds the record for the half marathon. And Ryan just happens to be a believer, which that probably contributed some to my uh, particularly ad- particular admiration for him. Uh, but one of the ways that, that this has manifested itself throughout his career is he's always been very open, very bold about sharing God's purposes, particularly in the disappointments that he's faced. I was listening to a podcast the other day on a flight home uh, of Ryan Hall telling this beautiful story of what God was doing with him during the Beijing Olympic Marathon in 2008. For him, this was really the peak of his career. This was a race of great anticipation. He was, he was peaking at just the right time and, and, uh, in his career, but also during the year, and he thought he had a really good chance to earn a medal. And for those of you who have followed distance running, that may be 1% of you, you know that an American competing with East Africans and actually winning a medal, that would be a really, really big deal. So he had all this anticipation until it became evident really early in the race, 84 degrees in Beijing, he was thrown off his plan when some of the others decided to push the pace well beyond the limits that anyone else could handle. And he found himself within the first half hour of the race completely out of the competition, somewhere around 50th place. He felt frustrated. He felt depleted. He said he even began to question God's favor. God, why would you do this to me? This was supposed to be the platform from which I would then tell everyone about you. Why would you put me in a place where I was supposed to meddle? Here, I'm not even going to be anywhere near the cameras. He said he could barely see the helicopter that was following the leaders up ahead. But then he said, as he sometimes does while running, he began to pray. He began to just cry out to God and ask him these questions, seeking answers. Why would you want me in this position and not up there at the front after all that I've worked for. And so out of his poverty of spirit, and really out of his poverty of energy, then God began to open his eyes to his provision. And he said he felt as though God was leading him to encourage the rest of the pack. There were a number of them who had fallen far beyond behind the leaders. And so almost in a moment, he began to turn his thoughts away from himself 
and on to the other runners alongside him. And one by one, he would come alongside other runners and encourage them. Let's catch these guys. There's still time. We can still get to the front. If we work together, we can do this. And he says when he did this, it became one of the most joyful and satisfying races of his life. One by one, he pulled others into this shared goal of getting to that finish line. And that day, Ryan himself would go from around 50th place to finishing 10th, which is pretty incredible. He didn't win, but as he would tell you, he won. He won that day because of the joy that he found and shared from what God had given him to give to others. You see, whenever we share out of God's bountiful supply to make others rich in Christ, one of the fruits of his inexpressible gift is the joy of gospel partnership itself. John says in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy, no greater joy, than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Speaking to a church far away in Asia, just to know that they are walking in the truth. Paul says in Philippians to the church there, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Friends, because of your generosity, whether you knew this before today or not, Two churches in this city that were prior to this not really engaged in any meaningful type of partnership are now very much joined together in spirit. Now every opportunity for our rejoicing over at Center or your rejoicing over here at Overland Hills Church is an opportunity for both of us to rejoice in God's abundant blessing to us. We rejoice when you rejoice, and I pray that you rejoice when we rejoice. Likewise, when you suffer, you do not suffer alone. And I know that when we suffer, I've got a whole family over here that is helping me to bear that burden. We have a whole church right now praying for John Venter. As soon as we found out, we sent out the email, and we had our church praying for John and his recovery. Every opportunity that we have per, for, for partnership ends up serving the end of stoking the embers of our love for Jesus together. The joy of gospel partnership. Number two would be an overflow of thanksgiving. An overflow of thanksgiving. He says in verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. You're not only going to take care of some basic physical needs that the Jerusalem church has. It's not only supplying their needs, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. I want to share with you this morning some of those thanksgivings in order that you will have opportunity this morning to give thanks to God. At Center Baptist right now, I give thanks that Sunday after Sunday, the word of God is preached. 
Sunday after Sunday, the foyer is now abuzz with gospel conversation. Twice a month, we gather as a body for an hour to pray. The members of Center are beginning to invest more and more in discipling relationships. Week after week, we are seeing evangelistic prayers being answered. The people are serving within the body and beginning to look outside and to serve the community around us. For the first time in several years, we were able, we were able to host a vacation Bible school. I was praying for one kid to show up. We had about 40. Followed by a community block party at the end of the week of, of over 150. I am encouraged. I give thanks to God that men are going out into Blackstone to do street evangelism, to share the gospel. I am thankful that God has brought to us 25 new members, four having just taken the class in the past few weeks, and all of them being from in and around the community itself. Some of whom, among those 25, have through the process become disciples of Jesus Christ for the first time. I'm thankful to God for two of our senior ladies who have recently joined the church, and here's why I'm so thankful, because one of them, when we were going through the membership process, and I, and I asked about how she came to Christ and how she was baptized, she says, it was back in 1992 at Overland Hills Church. Through someone inviting her daughter to Awana, God's extraordinary, ordinary means of grace. She has become such an encouragement to our body. Another lady in a similar position who was, who was discipled here, I was here, but life circumstances took her somewhere else, wanders into our church building one morning with, with a member that we know very well, who happens to be her neighbor, and I said, what are you doing here? And that led to her telling the story of how God brought her into this uh, community, and she just happened to be looking for a church, and now we are faithfully shepherding here, her at Center Baptist. I'm thankful for God's gracious and generous supply of two fellow elders, which I, with which I have the joy of pastoring alongside. One of them, Chris Atkins, grew up here in the church, so to speak, in ministry, and another, Mike Fraley, who was also a member here. As I said, I could be here till midnight sharing of all the evidences, giving thanks for all the things that God is doing among us, but I just wanted you to get a small taste of the overflow of thanksgivings produced through your partnership. You would have no opportunity to give thanks for any of these if you had not entered into this partnership three years ago. Number three, the third fruit of gospel prosperity, increased opportunities for giving and receiving. One of the things that I've been so overwhelmed by as I've served over there at Center is that out of the surplus that you provided, what has happened is it has enabled us to then begin to look outward and to provide for and strengthen others. He says here that, that he's not only going to supply our needs, but he's going to supply our seed, but he's going to multiply our seed. And that is going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, now let me show you how this works. 
you have sown a seed by investing in a partnership with Center Baptist Church. And that has already resulted in an increase in a harvest of righteousness there. And what that has done is as more and more people have come into that fellowship and more and more people have come to Christ, they, through their obedience, are now beginning to sow seed elsewhere, which is resulting in an increase in the harvest of righteousness. Do you see the exponential growth that is happening there? So, for instance, we have a missionary that we support, Michelle Molly, and she has a ministry to orphans in Ukraine. She, is, she was living in Ukraine up until the war. She had to come back, back home. But because we have been enabled in the ministry at Center Baptist Church, we were able this past year to raise money to help build two new orphan transition homes in Ukraine during one of the most crucial times of need there. That can be traced back to your generous giving here at Center Baptist. Another thing that has, has happened is it has resulted in what I call a proliferation of partnerships. So we have a partnership, and that partnership has enabled us in, to enter into several more partnerships in and around us. We now have partnerships in, uh, with, a, with a Baptist church in Oklahoma, with a faith Bible church near our, near our church, with a homeless ministry, Beautiful Gate Ministry, with a, uh, uh, having a member now in one of our local elementary schools just about a half mile away. We've entered into a partnership with a church in Tennessee that was uh, spurred on by Daryl Boyer, for those of you who remember Daryl serving here in this church. I could go on and on about all the, the, the multiplication of partnerships that have been produced through this one, but Overland Hills Church, I just want to exhort you as a former member and a fellow member of the body of Christ who's now able to kind of step back and watch you and watch all of this happen from the outside, you don't understand the impact that you are having all around the world through your generosity. You don't. There is no way you can understand it. I'm just here to give you a small glimpse of what God is doing in and through you. The famous prince of preachers from the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, envisioned his church as a sort of harbor. This is how I think of Overland Hills Church. He envisioned it as a sort of a, a harbor from which many ships would be deployed so that one day at night you could look out on the water and you would just see a whole sea of lights. And those lights would represent all those who have been sent out and all of the many ministries that have flourished and that have grown up as a result of the ordinary faithfulness of that church. Have any of you ever been frustrated by being in a military church or a transient church where you make really close friendships in about two or three years, looking at you, Jeff, they just rip your heart out and they move away. Some people that you become best friends with, they just leave you. I was thinking about this as I was preparing to speak here this morning about certain people in our lives that we got to know really well here and how sad and how painful it was to see them go. 
But I decided to reach out to them and ask him, what are they up to now? And I think this is an area where Overland Hills Church can have a very, very strategic mission. It is in discipling people for a couple years, two, three years, and sending them out stronger to then be a blessing to those churches that God calls them to. So I was thinking of, some of you may know these, some of you may just hear the names, but Andy and Sabina Proswitz. Andy is an elder in a church in Arizona where he, the other day, was preaching on a Sunday morning and is strengthening that church. And I asked him, what was it about Overland Hills Church that spurred him onto that? And he said, this was the first place I truly, <laughs> I truly understood God's sovereignty in all things and was so richly blessed by the exposition of God's word week in and week out. I reached out to Rob and Emily Barson. Rob is now serving as a deacon in his church in Ohio. And I said, Rob, what was it that really brought about transformation here? He said it was all very ordinary things. It was Awana, it was expository Bible preaching, and it was the hospitality that you showed to us. They were baptized here in this church. I reached out to Dan and Haley Hagler, who are serving in a church that has, has been going through a revitalization and is a powerful force in the Washington, D.C. area. They are teaching Sunday school to children there. He had served as a deacon in his church prior to that. And he said it was the hospitality here, and it was the first place he truly understood meaningful membership. I didn't reach out to him, but another one, Tyson James. Tyson and Maria James. Tyson is now a leader who works to translate gospel resources into languages like Urdu and Pashtu who do not have those resources. Somebody who was, I would say, just a babe in Christ when they were here about 10 to 12 years ago. I think about Bobby Kunkel, and I, and I can only imagine, but for me, how painful it was to watch him leave and talk about being impoverished, how much we sometimes are impoverished in our loss of people. Bobby goes out to seminary in Bethlehem, but this church has... has poured too much in him and got their claws too much in him such that when an opportunity arises to be a part of a church plant, Bobby says, I think I have to serve in the local church. I think he'll be here in a couple weeks. Well, that church happens to be a member of a network called Treasuring Christ Together. Uh, when God took us away for six months to Tampa for a military assignment, we found ourselves in a Treasuring Christ Together church in Tampa. And just a couple weeks ago, Bobby sends me a picture at a retreat of him sharing fellowship with this same church in Tampa. And it's like gospel partnership everywhere. I love it. That's just five or so names from about 10 years that I can just remember off the top of my head who were profoundly encouraged, discipled, and influenced out of the abundance of your generosity here at Overland Hills Church. So one of my exhortations to you this morning is, if you are constantly frustrated by the revolving door that we have here in this church due to the transient nature of this community, don't lament the revolving door. Don't hold on to what is meant to be deployed. Go and make and send. Go and make and send. As you open up your hearts, as you open up your hands, and yes, as you open up your wallets to make others rich in Christ, 
While I will not discount the pain and the suffering of loss, please know this, that God continues to work his miraculous ministry through your faithful obedience. I hope this stirs you up. I hope this stirs you up to a greater desire to be generous with all that God has given you. And if so, then I think it points to the final fruit that I have here this morning. The final fruit of gospel prosperity or gospel generosity. And that is number four, our assurance of faith. Our assurance of faith. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. What Paul is saying here is that as the Jerusalem church learns of this generous gift of Corinth, they will be compelled to glorify God. Here's a church at the far ends of the Roman Empire that was once a pagan stronghold. But now they've been so enriched by Christ that they feel the full freedom to exchange their worldly wealth for kingdom treasure out of obedience to Christ. I hope that when you see Center Baptist Church confessing Christ, submitted in obedience to him, and all of the generosity that is born out of that, I hope that it is yet another cause for you to glorify God. And how is that a means of assurance? Because it's yet another reminder of your sure calling in Christ. If you get excited about these things, that's because Christ has put his love in your hearts. Assurance of your confession as you delight in the confession of others. So this, my fellow brothers and sisters and new friends in Christ, this is God's purpose for gospel prosperity. Why has he prospered you? All of you. God has prospered all of you. Why has he prospered you? He's made all of you rich that you might make others rich in Christ. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you would continue in that work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the abundance of your grace to us, which has overflowed into many thanksgivings. We thank you that though we may at times feel like this is uh, another mundane event, another routine activity. We gather together, we sing some songs, we pray, we hear your word preached. Father, we thank you that it is doing things far beyond anything that we could imagine. We thank you that you are using these very ordinary means of grace to bring many more into your kingdom and to make many more rich in Christ. And I pray that you would just continue to stir up our hearts toward that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.